This is Katie Sutton, and you're listening to Farming on Mars. Hey guys, this is Sierra Ware, and on this week's episode, I talked to Katie Sutton and Fred Harkey, a father-daughter farming team who both farm in Lubbock County. They talk about their respective farming operations, their philosophies on making crop input decisions, and where they think the future of the cotton industry on the South Plains is heading. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode. Family history, we go way back, I guess, to the Carolinas, cotton raising there, several generations I mean, I know I can trace my great-grandfather back to Arkansas, raising cotton there, and they came to West Texas basically because bow weevils ate all their last crop in 1938. So they moved to West Texas because there were no bow weevils here. <laughs> then. Yeah. Say so they only outran them for a little while. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Katie will be the third-generation farmer here in West Texas, and uh, the Harkies, there's three generations in Arkansas that it was from. They even went back to North Carolina for several. So, long family history. Um, obviously, I grew up on the farm. and um, But as a kid, I was really into livestock, you know, showing pigs and sheep and cattle through 4-H and FFA. And um, so I got it in my mind that I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I decided to go to Texas A&M and major in animal science, which I did, and wanted to pursue that route. But anyways, found out college-level chemistry is a little harder than high school-level chemistry, and I just couldn't hack it for whatever reason. So I ended up not getting my vet school prereqs, but I still graduated with my degree in animal science. And anyways, I went on from job to job to job, um, some with animal science, but all with an ag. And ended up deciding to go back and get my teaching certificate to be an ag teacher. So um, I went to Texas Tech then and got a master's in ag education and my teaching certificate that way. And I taught for three years at Sweetwater and then two years at Rawls, which is how I met you and your family originally. And then kind of had an opportunity to come back to the family farm and I was just about ready to get out of teaching anyways, so it kind of worked out perfect. You know, I have worked on and off part-time on the farm up until about two and a half years ago when uh, that school year ended and a hired hand got fired, and so I got hired on. (laughs) And now this year, 2018, I got to farm for myself as well as be part of his operation so could you talk a little bit about the kind of growing season y'all had this past year this year <laughs> well was, we did get rains early and uh, we didn't water enough pre-water enough the beds and uh, so it wasn't really that good of a year but i mean katie did make a good crop but we basically had no dry land mm-hmm. so we're hoping for a better year next year yeah I think everyone is <laughs> No rain when we needed it, so only some irrigated fields, and some of that looked better than others. But and when I started farming, it we had a lot more irrigation water. Now we're really getting low on it, and it's you know it's getting so we're having a lot more dry land acres and trying to concentrate our irrigation on the certain fields with drip up in pivots, trying to really be efficient with what water we have left. 
you know, last year we had the dicamba cotton available to us, and we used that, and we sprayed dicamba, and yeah, that got really expensive really fast. But this year we could, we, you know, we knew the drought was coming. It didn't take anybody by surprise, so we were able to. Uh, Basically, we went back to how I used to do it 20 years ago with just conventional plain uh, seed. conventional seed. Half of more than Katie, half of Katie's crop was conventional seed. It did very well. We held it one time. We had to go back to a lot of trips of plowing, but it actually comes out cheaper than the dicamba. It really the does. And seed was a lot but, cheaper. I mean, Inputs yeah. were cheaper. So, I mean, that's kind of how we went in this year. And I even went a lot more uh, conventional seed. I did use some Roundup Ready. Katie did too, some Fibermax, but we did go back to conventional seeds this year mm-hmm. just for the economics. With the conventional cotton, did y'all have any problems with drift? Um, we didn't have any this year as far as neighbors drifting on us, um, but I, I think a lot of people did kind of what we did in our area and went to oh. conventional. Um, and then last year when we had dicamba, most of our neighbors also had dicamba, so we weren't super worried about it, but we do have some vineyards near a couple of our farms so we had to be really diligent on those fields to yeah the, the play by the rules and really bad with the vineyards mm-hmm. but as long as people are doing it right with the uh and they take, follow the guidelines drift it really isn't that bad mm-hmm. you know they got to use the right nozzles and the uh, right wind speed it all if they do it if they go by the books it's not bad do you think there are any unique benefits or challenges to being a younger farmer? I think government programs. She, she's more qualified to do government, get low interest yeah. loans from the government, and uh, she qualifies for more programs like drip installation. Yeah, I think um, working on getting my initial operation loan, and then also I qualified for 150 acres of drip through the EQIP. Uh, program at NRCS and uh, being a young new farmer helped me there I really have a lot of benefits more so and I you know I'm getting to come in under the tutelage of my father and um, I know a lot of farmers in the area and I grew up with them they've known me since I was a baby so most of them are going to be willing to help me if I ask them you know so that's that's good Um, so yeah I don't know challenges I feel like just go with the kind of challenges any farmer would be facing right now. So I really haven't had anybody, I guess, treat me differently for being a young farmer or anything so far. So, so many of the older farmers are getting out of it, either aging out of it or, you know, looking for... There are a lot, a lot of older farmers that, and there's a lot of opportunity for the younger mm-hmm. ones, but a lot of them aren't doing it because the financial, it's so hard to get started and Right now, the last five years, cotton hasn't really been profitable because of the low prices we've been receiving, but uh, Trump has got us back into the program, and hopefully that'll help us protect our markets overseas and everything. And I know a lot of uh, younger farmers, some of my younger cousins, they were really afraid to go conventional because they've never done it. They've always been this roundup ready and this, and but with Katie, knowing that I've done it before, she was able to... She grew 110 acres of conventional seed this year. Mm -hmm. Really worked well. Did work well. What's your philosophy on weed control? Well, I mean, dicamba's great, and uh, I really like it too, you know. And and 
you got to go with technology when you can. Yeah, I think there's a lot of tools available to us, and um, there continues to be more tools, you know, coming. And um, if you are open-minded and you kind of play it year by year, you know, don't say, oh, I'm only going to go with all chemical or all a certain chemical or I'm only going to go with all, you know, mechanical weed um, control. I'm going to use a a mix of both and just, you know, every year is going to be a little different with your um, cotton varieties that you have, with the climate, with the weather patterns and whatnot. So I think if you um, just kind of... Well, you you get... You clean some fields up with the new technology, yeah. and after you know a certain fields are being so clean, you can go back to conventional for a couple of years. Yeah, and you get can it. cycle things in and out. And, and uh, we even uh, broke some grass out about 200 acres, and we mm-hmm. went uh, organic two years ago. But we really we couldn't get into the Lubbock uh, organic pool, and we couldn't find a market for it. Now we did sell our seed for extra $500 a ton since it was organic seed, but some of this grass that are coming out of the program, you can go straight in convent, uh, organic. organic because it hasn't had chemicals on it in 10 years, some of it. So, What are y'all's thoughts on cover crops? Um, I'm very interested in trying them. I want you know, Yeah, I'm, I'm old school and she's having a hard time convincing me. But I've had a, a lot of my friends that are going to a cover crop and they're making it work. It saves a lot of trip sand fighting and Mm-hmm. And it does. It gets more organic matter into the soil, which actually helps. And it really, in certain situations, it really does hold the moisture better. So, I mean, a lot of people are going to cover crops. I'm just slow going to it, you know, because of being old school. I see. I, there's a lot of mindset in this area that cover crops take too much moisture out of the soil. But a lot of what I've been learning... Um, shows that they actually retain moisture in the soil, you know, when they're done right. And this year we had some farmers near us plant some multi-species cover crops on some of their bare fields, and they yeah. look really good, and I think it'll be really interesting to and watch those yeah, fields. They, there was an opportunity on more of the dry land to plant some of that. Yeah. But, I mean, when I grew up, there was no cover crops at all. I mean, it was just old school plow 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 and now it's really changing especially with the newer cottons dicambas you can spray and so you can get do the cover crop it's it's probably better i mean you you don't you're not out there on constantly on a tractor plowing yeah i think it'll be interesting to watch and hopefully next year i can plant some i wanted to this year but um we kind of had some some unplanned things pop up and so when it came time to plant cover crops, I wasn't really prepared to do it. And also with the conventional we planted, we put out some chemicals before or at planting that kind of remain in the soil. And a lot of the cover crop species um, might have not come up well through those chemicals that are still or were at the time that we would have been planting still active in the soil. So plan a little better this year, I hope. <laughs> Always better next year. Yeah. <laughs> Well, years ago, I mean, it was just 100% uh, Roundup Ready cotton. But after the economics got a little tough, people went back to some of the uh, conventional seed. But with the uh, cover crops, you pretty well got to go with uh, the newer technology. But with some of the cover crops, you do get less weeds. So, yeah, that's, you know, one of the potential benefits of 
good a good cover cropping system is some weed management. And like I said, there's there's a younger farmer in our area that planted some really good cover crops this year on some of his land. So it'll be interesting to watch those fields and see how they how they do. I'm gonna say it's kind of nifty. We can just watch our neighbor <laughs> see how his goes. And we do have one friend and neighbor that does a lot of conventional, and he's not much older than Katie. And he does good. What's your philosophy on how to manage your inputs on dryland acres? Well, like this year, we knew going into it, our trial land didn't have enough moisture to do anything up, so we didn't put very few chemicals, didn't put any fertilizer, so, and uh, you lower your seed population quite a bit. You know, when you're paying $400 for a bag of dicamba seed, you got to stretch that bag pretty far, and compared to when I started farming, we're planting some rates that I thought I'd never plant, you know, lower rates, especially on dry land. I mean, we've gone as low as one seed per seven inches on dry land and made very good cotton, actually. Bell and a half. That's pretty good. <laughs> See, this, this year was actually a good year as a young farmer getting started to learn some things. Um, you know, my dad, many years ago, had stored some conventional seed. Um, and this year was the perfect year to pull that old seed out of storage and plant it. And so that made me go, oh, hey, maybe it's worth planting some conventional, you know, maybe in the next couple of years that I can save seed on and do the same thing. So if we have another year like this year, you know, I've kind of got that little bit of um, almost insurance, yeah, you know, in a warehouse. That I don't have to spend as much money on the seed, knowing the likelihood of it making a crop is very low, you know. Yes. So I, I think that was a benefit of this year's yeah, getting a, to learn from. Yeah, <laughs> I think I made a crop with uh, no Roundup Ready or or uh, dicamba seed for about thirty years, so it's possible. <laughs> a lot of plowing, a lot of hoeing. Could you talk a little bit about the project that you were involved with through the Tech Climate Science Center? Climate Science Center through Texas Tech was doing a um, research project, and hopefully it will be ongoing, but we don't know yet if they will get funding to continue it into further years. Um, But yeah, so um, they wanted farmers with a variety of different management practices, so for Um, Example, we were no cover crop pretty much full till this year and have been in the past. And then within the program, there's all the way up to people who've been doing no till and crop rotations for 12 years. And so they're really just looking at, they were looking primarily at microbial action, I guess, in the soil. So um, we, I enrolled three of our fields. One was that organic field, the previous organic previously organic because um, it had been broken out of grass. It had been grass and it had been in grass for about 25 years. We had done some minimal till on it the past couple of years. And then two full till fields, one dry land, one row watered. We took soil samples at a few different intervals throughout the growing season. Um, They put moisture sensors in each of the fields and we had some nutrient collection sticks. They were just like little plastic sticks that had a little 
um, screen in them that attracted whatever particular nutrients they were looking for. And so we um, did those samples three or four times throughout the growing season. And um, we had one meeting after most of the data had been collected to kind of see what it looked like. Um, But we only had a small portion of the data there because they still hadn't collected their moisture sensors yet. They were still out in the fields. And um, a lot of the soil samples, the last set of soil samples they had taken hadn't yet been analyzed. So we're having another meeting in April to get all the final data on that and see. And hopefully by then they'll know if they're going to be able to renew it for the next few years because most of the farmers that were involved, myself included, um, would really like to continue that in the future. Um, It was kind of fun to be a part of it. And I think the data they're going to find will be really interesting. Help us know, you know, what sort of management practices in this area can be really beneficial for our soils. It was pretty clear from what limited data we had that the field that had been in no-till for 12 years had a lot more uh, microbial activity, um, good microbial activity, because, you know, there's good and bad. Um, So they had more of the positive microbial activity as well as more moisture retention. So in those, that field is only maybe about 10 to 20 miles. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but um, probably about 10 to 20 miles for most of our fields. So it's, it's gonna be a fairly similar field to what we have. So I think it'll be really interesting to see that final set of data in April, which we have to wait till April because the lead researcher is currently in Antarctica. Um, yeah, she left a few weeks ago and she's doing some kind of soil, some research on soils in Antarctica, and she'll be back in early April. So that's why we have to wait until then to find find out about the rest of the um, data. So, yeah. Where do y'all see the cotton industry on the South Plains going in the future? I think it's going to go bigger, more, and, you know, towards corporate farms, you know, or big family farms. I mean, you can't farm 500 acres anymore and make it, you know, and make a living, really. You're going to have to have four or 5,000 acres, I think. You you take these new cotton strippers, round bellers, you got to have, you got to run about four or 5,000 bells so you can pay for one. It's just that simple. And, and John Deere don't make the old style anymore. <laughs> and uh, with this area going more dry land, it's going to take more acres for a family farm to make it. So I see farms getting bigger and bigger. And over the years, uh, you know, we've seen it like way less. Uh, well, back when we started farming, it was very labor intensive, you know. And now with the cover crops and the dicamba, you could farm a lot of acres with not much labor. And that's kind of where it's going. But you're spending all your money on technology, you know. And I would say from a slightly different perspective, um, I think farmers in this area are going to have to be a little more open-minded towards maybe trying some new things, too. Um, You know, we've been a primarily cotton growing area, you know, just because we've had, you know, the ideal soils and climate and whatnot for cotton. And, uh, you know, everybody says you just can't grow anything else and make a living here, but I think we might have to try 
Yeah. Cotton, cotton, cotton. <laughs> I, I think young farmers coming in are going to have to be a little open-minded to some different things. So we'll see. <laughs> Do y'all think that those changes in the future will be positive or negative? You know, it's hard to say if it's going to be positive or negative because um, either way, it's probably going to be necessary. And as far as trying to grow some other crops, I would say it would be more in the style of just a crop rotation, not saying taking a cotton farm and turning it into a grain farm or anything like that. Just throwing in some rotations and things to, you know, just help diversify your farm a little bit. That can help with soil health and just kind of, you know, possibly help your bottom line a little bit. But I think too with that, you know, he's saying going to corporate farms. And I think if you're going to be farming primarily just you know if you think about like commodities on a large scale that's probably definitely necessary but I think again this goes back to being a little more open-minded you know if you market a little differently um, and find more niche markets for your product then you can diversify a little bit for instance I would like to on like cover crops and things run some sheep do some grazing rotations and raise a pastured lamb product. You know, um, younger people are getting more into trying different things. You know, in America, we kind of quit eating lamb around World War II. You know, um, the story about how they just fed canned mutton to the soldiers, and when they came home from overseas, they said, no more lamb. And um, so it just kind of died out here in this country, but it's really coming back with... um, younger chefs and things getting a little more um, adventurous and lamb is really good I butchered had a couple lambs butchered this year and they're really quite tasty so it's a lot like beef just a slightly different flavor yeah so trying to hit some niche markets like that raising pastured lamb and I just there's a account a social media account called my day in Texas ag and this week they are featuring some guys that take Texas grown grains and sell them to like all of the craft breweries and distilleries in Texas. So, um, you know, I think if you could kind of get with somebody like that and market your other crops like grains in that way, instead of trying to sell it through, you know, a co-op, you know, it's just kind of getting creative. And, and that could help some young farmers stay on a smaller scale, I think, whereas you're still going to have some go-to Larger, more well, I'm just seeing the trend since I was young. You know, you, yeah, definitely. People, people could grow five, six hundred, have five, six hundred acres of cotton and make a living. Now, the average farmer is over two thousand, three thousand. Mm-hmm. So, you just see bigger family farms. I'm yeah. not necessarily saying corporate farms in here, but more t- towards corporate family farms, right? Just takes more acres to do it, yeah, these days, even though our yields are. Basically higher than they used to when we when I started, you know. When I started, there was no such thing as three bell cotton, four bell cotton. Now there is. What are some lessons that you've learned in your first year of farming on your own? Yeah, I think the biggest one I kind of already talked about, and that was just, you know, the circumstances of this drought year. Um, learning to kind of have something to fall back on. In this case, it was the seed that dad's had in the warehouse for how long is that how long was that seed in the warehouse somebody's been there 10 years but it came up very well yeah but we also bought some newer conventional seed for very right yeah um 
And then again, kind of like trying, like not being afraid to try new things because we did go with some conventional, which isn't new, obviously. But um, we went with a new seed company, a local seed company called Brownfield Seed and Delinting. Um, we bought some seed from them, and it actually kind of worked out in my favor because the two varieties I planted somehow managed one of the varieties somehow managed to have one of the only fields in the South Plains that had that variety. And so they ended up buying that seed back from me. So um, all of their other farmers that they normally get the seed back from had planted in July and we planted in May. And just that little, like, maybe couple weeks worth of difference in planting is what, you know, made all the difference there. So um, I got to sell seed back to the company. So, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. So... And they came out and they took pictures of my field to put next year's catalog and everything like that. So that was a pretty cool experience. So, you know, that kind of goes back to don't be afraid to try something different. What advice do you all have for younger people in agriculture? It's hard to say because I'm trying to teach her old school stuff and she's trying to. <laughs> teach Yeah. And she wants uh, I mean, and it's right. I mean, we've got to try new things. I don't know what my advice would be. <laughs> Run. No. Run. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, find someone that can be your mentor that's been doing it a long time. Um, but also, I think, keep an open mind. And um, even social media, you can get new ideas for things. Um, just always be learning, whether that's from your mentor um, or say a podcast or working, taking some classes at a college with a good ag school. Just always, always be learning. Definitely take advantage of programs that are offered um, through the government. Just like that equip, you know, we're getting some drip put in. My farm this year that I had, we row watered and that's a lot of work. Right at the height of when we were watering in July, I ended up having an emergency surgery Um, So I wasn't able for about two weeks to really do much work and um, had to rely on my dad, my husband, and our hired hand to help me out with that. And about the same time, the hired hand got bit by a spider on his leg and he was out for a few days. He got bit by a brown recluse. So yeah, it was a little rough, you know, the height of the really hard work, the physical work, uh, changing water. And, you know, we were just kind of doing what we could to get by <laughs> but um we're gonna have drip installed over the next few months in that field and so next year it'll be a lot easier <laughs> yeah thanks to again that government program i guess along with maybe giving advice is that you know you you can do it there may be things that are discouraging you believe and you will put in the work you can do it and like for me you know a woman farmer sometimes you just got to go against the grain a little bit you know, and I'm expecting my first baby in March. <laughs> so I'm probably going to have a baby on the tractor with me when we're planting cotton. And, you know, some people are like probably thinking I can't raise a baby and be a farmer, but I'm going to try and I'm going to make it work to the best I can. And sometimes that's just what you got to do. And that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode, and thank you again to Cody West for allowing me to use his song, Melody. Please remember to check back again next week for another great episode about the people of the Plains. I don't know the answers, but the questions fill my head.